Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Peter and I were reminiscing about a trip we took a few years ago. I was out shopping and I had two very interesting encounters which made us chuckle. In fact, I spoke about it on the radio at that time. And I want to share it with you now. I want to describe to you two interactions I had recently while shopping. Now, my husband nor I are big shoppers. However, we were out of town a few weeks ago and we were taking a stroll along a cute little outdoor shopping mall. Anyway, I innocently wandered into a clothing store and found a very nice blouse that I decided to purchase. And I was, as I was speaking to the saleswoman, who I think was also the owner of the store, I noticed in the corner of the store the display of fur items. Lots of them. I mean, the entire back corner room seemed to be the, the fur room. This, this caught me by surprise, since I just really didn't expect to see the selling of fur in this low-key, quaint, and casual outdoor shopping area. But anyway, instinctively and naturally for me, I could not help commenting to the saleswoman about it. And I said something like, are you really selling fur here? And I would guess with a somewhat disgusted look on my face. Anyway, as I realized that I was on the verge of buying a blouse from the fur woman, a brief discussion ensued about the morality of fur, and at one point, as she was trying to convince me that I shouldn't be bothered by the fur display, she looked down at my shoes and said, well, it's no different than wearing suede like your shoes. And I replied that I basically agreed with her logic, but of course I was not persuaded by her analogy because my shoes were not made of suede or leather or any animal product for that matter. I do not buy animal products. So I said something like, ha, these shoes are not suede. These are man-made. And I politely handed her the blouse as I proudly made my way out of her store in my blue faux suede shoes. Okay, so I will tell you, this encounter made me wonder, where did the saleswoman get this technique from? Uh, the technique of pointing at the shoes in order to sell her fur. Did she come up with it herself, or could it have come from a fur industry training manual? Remember, this is the same industry that touts fur as a green product and claims fur can be cruelty-free. Both, of course, you know are so untrue. Anyway, I did a little research to see if I could classify the type of argument used by the saleswoman on me. This is what I like to do on my spare time, think about silly arguments from silly people. Anyway, I framed it like this. If you wear leather shoes and are willing to permit animals to be created, suffer abusive lives, and then be slaughtered so you can have their skin for shoes, then you should have no problem using the product of fur obtained from different animals as clothing to keep you warm. That's just being internally consistent, which we all should be, right? Now, 
I'm not by any stretch of the imagination knowledgeable about fallacies of logic and reasoning, but it was instructive to read about this on Wikipedia, where there's a good entry including lists of the various types of formal and informal fallacies, syllogistic fallacies, faulty generalizations, and red herring fallacies. I think the closest one to my saleswoman's argument, although maybe not perfect, was that it was a false analogy. A false analogy, which I learned, consists of an error in the substance of an argument, that is to say the content of the analogy itself, and not an error in the logical structure of the argument. Now, as I stated before, the saleswoman's argument in favor of fur was never going to work on me because I don't buy products made from animals. But if she had tried this line on one of her more normal, unsuspecting customers, one who does not wear fur but does buy and wear leather, then it might serve to break down the customer's previously held resistance to fur. But in reality, I think this argument fails because people's behaviors and beliefs are just too complex to be restrained by and encapsulated by a little rule of thinking, like we have to be consistent all the time. First, we all hold contradictory notions in our minds simultaneously. None of us is completely consistent in our own values. We may try to be, but we're not. And our behaviors and beliefs don't always match up. It's just part of being human. Second, her argument ignores the essential elements of time and emotional growth and exploration. People grow and evolve and learn as they get older. My personal evolution from dog and cat lover to vegetarian and vegan and animal rights advocate was a journey. And journey takes time. So your child comes home from college and asks you to give up your mink fur coat, and you do. It's a step in the right, humane direction. Then what's next? Maybe you stop eating veal or stop buying alligator belts. That's good. Or maybe it's, it finally makes sense to you to adopt a pet instead of buying one from a breeder, and you experience the joy and good feeling that comes from adopting and saving a life. And further, you donate to or volunteer at a local shelter. We evolve and we grow, hopefully as kinder human beings. So tell the fur saleswoman the next time you meet her, no thanks, going back to fur is not part of my compassionate journey. Now, as fascinating as that encounter with the crafty saleswoman was, after I left her place just a few doors down, I found myself in a shoe store. I needed some sandals. And by the way, there are many places, especially on the Internet, where you can find really nice footwear that are um, 100% synthetic. But I have heard, I personally have um, very hard to fit feet, and it's not easy for me to buy shoes online. So when I found this pretty comfortably um, looking sandal in this store, I was hopeful. And I asked the salesperson, are these leather? To which she replied, Yes, of course they're leather. Like that was a stupid question and with the implication that being made of leather was a positive feature, one that would make it more likely that I would purchase the sandals. And of course, 
Little does she know I'm looking for just the opposite. So she gave me a puzzled look when I told her, oh, too bad. They're made of leather, but thanks anyway. So although I was not successful in buying myself any clothing that day, I did successfully annoy some people, but that's okay. And shop owners be aware, and everyone actually, the trend toward cruelty-free products is on the rise. Consumers are demanding them more and more, and for these people, something being made out of genuine leather or real suede is, believe it or not, a turnoff. Increasing number of people are shopping kindly. And this was very evident. I'll tell you, in Santa Monica the last weekend when my husband and I saw signs everywhere for vegan food and synthetic products. And truly, I think that cruelty-free living is on the verge of becoming the next mainstream consumer trend. Just like the, the green movement has grown in the past few years, this desire to avoid using animal products is no longer confined to the granola crowd. People are now considering the terrible suffering of animals in the making of some products, and they don't want to support that in any way. And think about it. There's nothing made with animal products that humans actually need, right? Nothing. So where, whether it's choosing clothes or grocery shopping or buying a gift, with no sacrifice to you and a little knowledge you can easily become a cruelty-free and compassionate shopper. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org.
and thanks for listening. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to Animals Today. You ever listen to uh, radio shows in which the host shares his or her expertise with callers? There are medical shows, relationship shows, shows about sex. Dr. Ruth is still going strong, by the way. Shows about cars. Show, and of course, there are shows about pets. On Animals Today, we at times in the past have had guest experts, either veterinarians or certified animal behaviorists, and they would field calls or emails about specific animals and give specific advice. But are there limits to what an expert can say to someone he or she has never met? Can a veterinarian get into hot water if she diagnoses and treats on the radio a dog or cat she never examined? 
You know, my guess would be that there'd be no problem with that because any reasonable person should know the limitations of these interactions. And often the expert will say something like, well, try this or that, and if it doesn't work, go see your local vet, right? Well, there's a case we're going to discuss now called Heinz v. Aldridge, in which a doctor of veterinary medicine, Ronald Heinz, has run afoul of a Texas veterinary licensing statute. To tell us about this is Institute for Justice lawyer Robert Picola. Rob litigates cases promoting economic liberty, free speech, and property rights in state and federal court. Welcome, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on the program, Peter. Give us a little background on this case. This case is about a veterinarian in Brownsville, Texas, who is retired from the physical, if you will, practice of veterinary medicine and part-time gives advice to folks over the Internet all over the world who have questions about their pets. Some of these clients are in rural areas. Some of them are in remote recesses of the world. And it's a beneficial relationship on both sides, both for Dr. Hines, who is disabled uh, and can work from his home, and from our animal friends and from the folks who live with them who get advice that they normally would either not have available or not available as a second opinion from the in-person advice they have locally. Well, what happened is that the Texas Veterinary Board got caught wind of what was going on with Dr. Hines and shut him down under a regulation that does not allow any kind of advice to animals, pet owners, when there is not an in-person inspection. And as you so rightly pointed out, in Texas, this radio show where we're speaking right now would be illegal because that's precisely what happens when you have a veterinarian on air, people call in, they want either a second opinion or just to bounce an idea off a medical professional, and they can't do it in Texas. And so this falls under a category of First Amendment protected speech known as professional speech, people who speak for a living. And there is an appellate court decision that determined that because what Dr. Hines does is regulated by a professional board, it's not actually speech, it's conduct. Conduct in a profession could be anything from um, digging a ditch to opening up a patient in surgery. This case is now uh, on review. We've appealed it to the Supreme Court, and we are hoping that they will take it up. We've been so lucky to have organizations like yours and the International Society for Animal Rights who recognize that this has a tremendous impact on our animal friends, and we will find out hopefully within the next, oh, month or so, whether the Supreme Court takes this issue up. And we're hoping that they're able to resolve what is right now a very unsettled area of law and that they will resolve it in favor of the First Amendment. So this really went up the chain rather quickly. It did. It's an unusual case in that it didn't go to trial or even to a determination on the merits after depositions and discovery. This was a case that the trial judge said could go forward just based on the complaint. And the parties uh, determined that this was significant enough that the appellate court could review that decision at that juncture. And the Fifth Circuit 
which encompasses Texas, Louisiana, uh, it sits in New Orleans, determined that this was not even a cause of action, that this was not a claim you could articulate under the First Amendment because Dr. Hines's speech was not speech. This is not a, a typical case, but in a way it's helpful for Supreme Court review, I think, because it really is just that threshold legal question of whether you can even state a claim for free speech in this arena. Typically, the jurisdiction that licensing boards have over the person speaking is limited to where they're licensed to practice. So if Dr. Hines came on your show, I think that there could definitely be an issue with him in terms of his license uh, being at at stake, uh, which has has already happened. Now, if, you know, you have a lot of veterinary professionals who practice all over the place, and to the extent that they in their states have similar restrictions, then there could definitely be some real issues there that under this holding would not have uh, redress in the Fifth Circuit. Now, I say that because the whole reason we're trying to get it up to the Supreme Court is because there is actually a split of authority. Now, You're lucky in that uh, in California, which is governed by the Ninth Circuit, there's some better case law, which allows people to state a claim for professional speech. In other words, just because someone's regulated by a licensing board and and speaks for a living doesn't mean that that is thereby outside the protection and purview of the First Amendment. But other circuits, the Fifth Circuit is one. Um, the Eleventh Circuit has gone back and forth. They recently came out with a, a slightly better ruling, but it, it reminds me in some ways of these cases that we've seen in the in the news on more controversial things like gay marriage, for example, where depending on what jurisdiction you are in, the law governing uh, your life, or in this case, with Dr. Hines, your livelihood could be very different. So that's why it's important for the Supreme Court to resolve this and to articulate a standard that can govern all the circuits. And of course, we're hoping that that standard allows professional speech to stand as exactly what it is, which is free speech that would be protected by the First Amendment. And obviously, professional speech is more than just veterinarians or animal behaviors. This goes to really any sort of group that's uh that has a governing body or a professional organization. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. You know, you think about social workers, psychologists, anyone who has a license and who speaks. Attorneys can be another example. Uh, You know, speaking for a living is really pretty common, particularly in in careers that are, I guess, what I call helping professions, professions where someone has a problem and you go to get professional advice. And so that that's a huge swath of the sort of professional public, but also the consumer public. And Consumer Action filed a brief in uh, our support, in support of our case with the Supreme Court as well, because it, it's not just the professionals who can be left unprotected by this kind of legal standard. It's also the consumers, or if you think about it in terms of the beneficiaries of the speech, they aren't protected either. So this is a really important issue that, that really touches on a lot of different 
stakeholders within our society. Rob, I hope we'll be able to speak further as this unfolds. Thank you for coming on Animals Today. Rob Picola from the Institute for Justice. Thanks for joining us on Animals Today and explaining this to us. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Most people know that chocolate is dangerous for dogs and cats to eat. But did you know that coffee and tea are dangerous for pets too? There are many foods you should not let your pets eat. Onion, garlic, yeast dough, and even avocado. Grapes and raisins are especially toxic to dogs too. Even certain plants and flowers can be toxic or deadly to pets. Cats should not be allowed to eat lilies, daffodils, tulips, or sago palm. And make sure your dogs don't eat azalea, lilies, or sago either. Another danger area, especially with dogs, is eating medicine meant for people. So make sure pills are out of your pet's reach and in safe containers. And of course, leftover bones can crack and cause choking. So don't give bones to dogs. Remember these pet safety tips to keep your pets healthy and happy all year round. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. 
Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Do you ever wonder where your food comes from or how it was raised? You're not alone. Today's consumers are asking more questions than ever about animal welfare, hormones, and antibiotics, and whether GMO foods are safe to eat. The good news is there's a group of farm women across the country dedicated to helping you make confident food choices for you and your family. Working on everything from dairy farms to large row crop operations, these women are part of Common Ground, a grassroots organization that fosters conversations between the women who grow America's food and the women who buy it. I'm Amy Robinette, a grass-fed beef producer and livestock processor from North Carolina. As the mother of two children and a Common Ground volunteer, I love sharing personal stories from our farm and helping those not connected to farming learn about today's food production. Join the food and farming conversation at findourcommonground.com and look for Common Ground on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome back to Animals Today. When you're at the vet with your animals getting a checkup or for a yearly exam and it's time for vaccinations, do you wonder, like I do, what exactly are they for? Now, I'm not advising you to question your vet's knowledge or motivations, but wouldn't you like to know what is being given and why and what each component of the vaccination is and whether it's really needed for your dog or cat at that specific time? And most importantly, is it safe? Let's spend a few minutes getting to know a bit more about vaccinations with Dr. Robert Reed, Medical Director of VCA Ranch Homerage here in California. Hey, Dr. Reed. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. Let's begin with dogs. Give us an overview of the current vaccinations recommended for dogs in the United States and what diseases are we preventing? When you're talking about what vaccines are appropriate for your own pet, it's important to have a conversation with your veterinarian about what the pet's risks are and what the vaccine's risks and benefits are. It, you know, you'll get, a, you'll get a general recommendation that's fairly consistent in most areas, but some vaccines are more likely to be given in some areas than others. The three that we look at as the most primary, of course, they're the rabies vaccination, which is required by law in a lot of areas, and um, the vaccine against parvovirus, which usually includes immunizations against distemper and parainfluenza virus, uh, as well as adenovirus, which are primarily respiratory viruses. And most, most practitioners are probably going to recommend an immunization against Bordetella, the kennel cough inoculation. You mentioned rabies, parvo, and Bordetella. Which of these need to be repeated, and how is the schedule determined, Robert? The uh, rabies vaccination schedule is dictated by regulations. And uh, for puppies, that's given at the age of a minimum of 12 weeks. It's usually at 16 weeks. And then it's repeated a year later. And in most states, it's three years after that. The duration of the, or the interval for the other vaccines is open to some interpretation. It used to be a lot simpler when we just relied exclusively on the recommendations of the manufacturer 
it was generally an annual vaccine for nearly all of these vaccinations. Um, nowadays, we recognize that many of these immunizations have a longer duration of effect. And we're recommending that some of them be given every two or three years, and, and older dogs even less frequently. The vaccines are given annually for the first year. After a series of three vaccinations, probably every two to three years after that, for the distemper, parvo, parainfluenza combination vaccination, the Bordetella immunization, when it's indicated, is often given every six months because the duration of immunity for that one is not as long as it is for some of the others. So we're looking at each of these vaccines as a separate need. How do you know if your dog is protected? You really can't tell very well. We rely on research that's been published and that's available for us to review that gives us an overview of what what the duration for each vaccine should be. The manufacturer of the vaccine will guarantee protection for a certain amount of time, which is usually annually. Uh, that's just, we don't know that that's the, the maximum duration, but it's the minimum duration. And that's the main guideline we follow. As far as whether the vaccine is actually good for three years, four years, or five years, it's really hard to know. You know, some people are recommending that we run vaccine titers, which is a a measurement of the antibody level against a particular vaccine in a, in a dog system, which is certainly available for some vaccines. It's hard to correlate, though, the, the degree of immunity that that level of antibody actually carries. Uh, we can draw some, some conclusions about it based on the level that should be there, but it's still a little bit subjective. Um, and for a high-risk patient in a serious disease, some people may choose not to rely on that. Robert, in humans, we are debating possible adverse reactions and risks of vaccinations. It has become a very controversial topic, and people still worry, for example, about vaccines causing autism. What are the risks of vaccines in dogs? Well, fortunately, we don't see autism in dogs, uh, but there are a few types of reactions that we do know of. The most that are the ones that are the best understood or the immediate reactions uh, that can occur right after vaccination, the most serious or anaphylactic is going to happen right away. That fortunately is very rare. Um, one that is a little bit less rare but still quite rare is um, a, a delayed allergic reaction, which usually results in swelling of the face or vomiting, and it's going to occur probably about two to four hours after. The most common by far is a, a low-grade fever that develops in a pet, usually the night of a vaccination, maybe the next morning. The pet would be feeling a little bit down, uh, maybe not as hungry, quite, kind of listless. Um, less understood but often suggested reactions might be uh, immune diseases or auto, autoimmune diseases that occur several months, potentially even years later. Uh, many people have suggested that vaccines might contribute to those, but the studies that have looked into the topic have really not made any strong conclusions or links between vaccines and those diseases. Uh, but the suggestion is still out there, and many people have real concerns about it. How about if your dog does not come into contact with other dogs? For example, like in dog parks or in daycare settings and boarding settings, do the recommendations for vaccinations get changed? It depends on the vaccination, of course. The rabies vaccine is, is dictated by regulation, of course, and it's not going to change based on exposure risk in dogs. 
Um, the other vaccines we generally don't deviate from in the core group, which is the distemper, parvovirus, parainfluenza, adenovirus. Those are the main viruses that dogs can be exposed to in the environment or through casual contact with other dogs where you might not know that there's been an exposure. Uh, I tend, we tend to think that, that protecting them against possible risks is better than trying to identify all the risks and targeting them, targeting them individually. Um, the best example is parvovirus, which is probably the, the most common vaccine-protected disease that we still see, and usually in puppies because the immunity is difficult to develop before they get exposed to it. It can be fairly ubiquitous in the environment. It doesn't necessarily require direct contact with another dog uh, for a pet to be exposed to it. Rabies in dogs has essentially been eradicated in the United States. Can other canine diseases harm people? Well, of the vaccines that we've been talking about, the, the so-called core vaccinations that we worry the most in dogs, they are not really diseases or associated with diseases that affect people. Um, the one vaccine that we sometimes use and that is used more frequently in other parts of the country is leptospirosis um, that has the potential to be transmitted to people. In your practice, what misconceptions do your clients have about vaccinations and the diseases they prevent? Well, you know, I think that there's a, a general lack of understanding about how a vaccine actually works and and protects uh, patient health you know and as we've discussed already in in this review the you know the duration of vaccination is not well understood and, and in fact incompletely understood among veterinarians and researchers it's natural that people would wonder about that uh, but there's also a lot of information that is scattered around that raises doubts about the effectiveness and safety of vaccines that really isn't justified with research that's been performed. And some of that research is independent um, of uh, vaccine manufacturers. So we tend to believe it carries a, a lot of weight in our decision-making about that. And we spend a lot of time in discussion with people so that they understand what we're trying to accomplish with vaccination and they feel comfortable with what we're doing. But I think it's important for us to recognize that people's views usually have a basis and if there's a concern, there's a reason for that. And for us to provide the right kind of protection for their pet, we, we need to understand together what we're trying to accomplish and what we want to do with the vaccination, and everyone should be on board with it. We're not going to come up with a, a blanket approach that tries to apply to every patient. It has to be the approach needs to be decided upon through conversation with the pet owner. Right. Talk about herd immunity and preventing epidemics. The best example of that recently is the influenza virus that's been um, where outbreaks have been identified in certain parts of the country, particularly in Chicago, um, where, you know, with the lack of immunity in a large population of dogs has led to a, a, in a number of cases with more severe symptoms that you might, than you might see in a population that had experienced the virus before. This is, of course, due to a new strain of influenza virus that had not been identified in this country previously. So you tend to see a large number of pets that develop symptoms at a single time, that, and those symptoms can be quite severe in those initial cases. And we've seen it before, historically, 
in, in the veterinary profession with diseases like parvovirus, which when it first developed in the late 1970s was absolutely devastating because it was essentially a mutation from a different virus that dogs had no immunity to, and the effects were unbelievable. The things that dogs experienced in those early days, they no longer experienced, thankfully, largely because the vaccine or the, the virus has become a little bit less virulent but mostly because vaccination is so prevalent that it's reduced the frequency and the severity of the disease. More about vaccinations with Dr. Robert Reed right after the break. Don't go away. You're listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Did you know that there's a huge problem with pet overpopulation? Each day in the U.S., 70,000 puppies and kittens are born. There are so many unwanted dogs and cats that, sadly, millions of wonderful pets are killed every year in shelters because there is just nowhere for them to go. If you let your animal have a litter, even just one, then these kittens and puppies will go on to produce more offspring themselves, and very quickly that adds up to many unwanted dogs and cats. We all can help reduce the problem by fixing our animals as soon as we get them. That's what responsibility pet owners do. Your veterinarian or a low-cost clinic in your area can do the procedure. Also, fixed animals are less likely to get certain cancers and are less likely to bite, fight, roam, or run away. Fixed cats are less likely to mark their territory and attract unwanted animals. So for a healthier and happier pet, and to help improve the pet overpopulation problem, make sure to get your animals fixed right away. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit us at AIanimals.org. Supporting those who defend our country is one of the important missions of Colorado Technical University, or CTU. In partnership with the Yellow Ribbon Fund, CTU awards 50 scholarships annually to wounded service members, spouses of wounded service members, and caregivers. The scholarship covers tuition, books, and fees for a single degree program along with a new laptop computer. CTU is recognized as one of the best online bachelor's programs by U.S. News & World Report and as a best for vets college by Military Times. The university offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs, including business, criminal justice, computer science, and engineering. At CTU, students can study online, on campus, or a blend of both and learn whenever and wherever fits with their schedules. The deadline for the CTU Wounded Warrior Scholarship Program is September 15th. To learn more about the Wounded Warrior Scholarship Program offered by CTU, visit coloradotech.edu WW. For important disclosures and information, visit coloradotech.edu disclosures. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. This report is brought to you by Colorado Technical University. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. 
However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending Machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome back. Do you know what vaccines are needed for cats? What diseases do vaccines prevent and how effective are they? When, if ever, do booster vaccinations need to be done? Here to update us on current guidelines for feline vaccinations is Dr. Robert Reed, Medical Director of VCA Rancho Mirage Animal Hospital in Rancho Mirage, California. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Okay, so we've already spoken about dogs. Now would you please review the diseases we are concerned about in cats and the vaccinations recommended to prevent them? The main diseases we are concerned about in cats are, of course, rabies virus, a rabies vaccine, um, feline leukemia virus, and the upper respiratory diseases, which are feline herpes virus or rhinotracheitis virus, uh, Khaleesi virus, and the feline parvovirus, which is called panleukopenia virus. The vaccine that's often referred to um, as feline distemper is actually the combination of the, the herpes virus, Khaleesi virus, and panleukopenia virus. We call it the FERCP vaccine. That's one of our core vaccines. In fact, the, the main vaccine that we try to get kittens uh, uh, immunized with. The leukemia vaccine we generally only give to cats that are going to be in contact with other cats outside the house, usually outdoor cats or cats that socialize with cats that don't live in the household. The rabies vaccination in cats is not required by the state of California at this time, but it's recommended in cats that might have exposure to any other cats, to people or wildlife, which really includes virtually all cats 
um, and the the, uh, the duration of those vaccinations is up to interpretation, and the frequency with which they're administered can vary between individual pets and individual veterinarians. Talk about the safety of the vaccines. What side effects or risks are there? Well, you know, the cats can have the same kind of, um, of risks that dogs have, that, meaning, you know, they can have allergic reactions, um, and they also have delayed reactions where they feel sick that night and the next day. But I have to say that cats are much less prone, though, to allergic reactions and are more likely to have vomiting reaction than swelling about the, the face, for example. But the, the reaction that we worry the most about in, in cats and the, the one that cat lovers tend to have the greatest concern about is the feline immune uh, the um, injection site sar- sarcomas, which are tumors that develop as a result of stimulation under the skin by a vaccination. This is a condition that we used to see more frequently because of vaccines that contained adjuvants, which are uh, ingredients that are stimulated, that are intended to stimulate a reaction and to make the immune system respond more strongly. But fortunately, over the last few years, some of the manufacturers of vaccines have gotten um, wise to that and have developed some vaccines that are cat-specific that don't have adjuvants in them and are extremely less likely to cause that type of reaction. It's a devastating reaction, though, because it usually happens years later, um, and it can be life-threatening and sometimes fatal. So you can imagine that it raises a lot of concern among cat owners. Wow, wow. In your practice, what misconceptions do your clients have about vaccinations in cats and the diseases they prevent? Well, I think the most people, the most common misconception about cats is actually that cats don't need vaccinations. And I really don't believe that. I think that the the vaccines that we use, the core vaccines, have a real purpose and really protect cats' lives, particularly the upper respiratory vaccines and panleukopenia virus. You know, the panleukopenia virus is one that it's probably the most serious disease of the three, but it's the one that has the longest immunity. The other two are upper respiratory diseases, uh, sometimes mouth diseases, and they, they affect the membranes of the mouth and the airways. And they can be, the duration of immunity can be much shorter and the symptoms can be lessened or prevented if the vaccines are kept up fairly regularly. Unfortunately, the regularity is not quite as clear as we would like it to be. We generally think of those as necessary at the same interval as puppies when cats are kittens, meaning they get them about every three weeks until they're about 16 to 20 weeks of age. And then annually. After that, afterward, some people might give them annually and some might uh, move to an every three-year dosing. And that's going to depend on the location, the, the level of risk, the ideas of the practitioner, and the interests of the, the pet owner as well. So that one, you know, was really open to conversation, and, and I think that the decisions are not going to be the same for every pet. But it is very important to have that conversation because some form of vaccine protection, I think, is really important for cats, for those vaccines. So another vaccine that we often use that we sometimes con- consider a core vaccine for cats is the feline leukemia vaccine. 
but the recommendations for that are also not as clear as we would like. Uh, we tend to follow the guidelines of the Association, American Association of Feline Practitioners, which suggests that kittens should be immunized against leukemia because they're more vulnerable to contracting it and that the vaccine should be given as a, a two-booster uh, interval, a two-booster series as kittens, and then annually thereafter, as long as cats are being exposed to other cats through play groups or through being through outside activity. So that one, again, really depends on the lifestyle of the cat, uh, whether you want to give it or not. Perhaps the, the vaccine that elicits the most discussion in California for cats is the rabies vaccine because it is not required and many people of course um, for valid reasons want to minimize the amount of vaccine they give to their cats many people choose not to use it i tend to favor rabies vaccine in cats as long as we use the cat specific vaccine that's designed to provide uh, minimal risk and less reactivity uh, especially in terms of uh, vaccine-related sarcomas. Um, I believe that the rabies vaccine is helpful in protecting cats against um, potential exposures to rabies and the implications of uh, animal control intervention if there is a, a possible exposure um, to rabies. And cats are actually the most commonly affected domestic animal um, by rabies, at least in the U.S. Not that it happens frequently. Uh, but it probably happens more than people realize. Very helpful information. Dr. Robert Reed, thank you. You're welcome. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.